Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Great. Man, you may be seated. Thank you, everybody. John, whenever you get to it, you can go ahead and and play that, and I'll just kind of talk over the top of it of our little uh, bumper video that sets up our sermon series, Prophets and Poets. I'm having such a a good time. Let let me stop and say this is probably not a great time to air dirty staff laundry, but I'm really upset with Jason Smith. Yeah, yeah, he he preached too well last week, and now I've got a lot to live up to, and uh, it really was good, and and I, uh, I, I needed... You pastored me last week, and so it was such a beautiful sermon, and thank you very much. And um, it would be appropriate for us to say thank you to Jason, not just for that, but for all that Jason does around here. And you may not know this, but Jason is going to go on sabbatical the last part of the summer, I believe, uh, July and August, so you can start funding my therapy if you'd like to. That would be Fine. Prophets and poets. We are making a mixtape, and, and Jason added Abba to the mixtape last week. How many of you have been hearing Take a Chance on Me all week? Yeah. Well, we're going to add some more to it today. Only in the past, we have kind of worked on the psalm, I have at least, and then moved to the Old Testament text. I'm going to start with the Old Testament text this time. Um, and I want to see if you can. Uh, spot it, and if you'd like to sing along with it, you're certainly welcome to. It goes something like this. Sing along Space, if you like. A final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. (laughs) I was in the hopes that many of you would go ahead and just stand right up and sing out with with this. So, if you will notice, turn it down just a little bit for me, buddy. You can let it play to the image. You can, well, I think it's almost done anyway. But I love this, and I think it's actually the perfect epiphany song for us, because in the same sorts of ways, these people, the people of Israel, are asked to spill out beyond the walls and into all the world. And these people, the new Israel, are asked to spill out beyond the walls and into all of these other places where all these other people groups are. We are supposed to be influencing and flavoring and seasoning and serving all of those other people groups. In the same sorts of ways, we're supposed to be boldly going, right? In the same way that they were boldly going. Our scripture text, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 19. Now let me give you a little bit of background information. The people of God recently, recently uh, liberated out from underneath Pharaoh's thumb or out now amongst all of these different people groups but not necessarily knowing how to be amongst all of those people groups as the people of God. And so God gives them a gift known as the law or the Torah is another word that we will use to refer to the law. Now, it may sound funny to you. How in the world would people understand the law or laws as gifts? But they did. They did understand it as a gift until they didn't. At first, they understood it as a gift because this Torah and the Ten Commandments are huge pillars in this overarching concept of Torah, but it gets all the way, all the way into the books of Leviticus, and it covers all kinds of things, you guys, all aspects and arenas of life. You have the Torah. It's so far-reaching and widespread and broad. It's all over the place in the Old Testament, and it was given to these people so that they would know not only how to stay in step with God, but also how they would embody the this God and the heartbeat of this God and be the tangible expression of God in the world. Now, here is when the law stops feeling like a gift. 
When you get all caught up in the verbiage and in the words of the laws and you focus only on the words and the verbiage and the lines and the law and you forget that the law always has in mind the heart of God behind it. God's heart is communicated and displayed by a people. God's heart is communicated and displayed by this law. Unless we forget that there's a God behind the law and we focus only on the laws, which is one way to describe legalism. So the law is a gift until it becomes legalism, but prior to it being legalism, it can be understood as a gift or the means whereby we can understand the nature, the heartbeat of this God, and then how we can participate in it. One of the commandments, and we've talked about this for years around here, one of the commandments goes something like this, no graven images. Nothing made of wood, nothing made of gold, nothing made of stone that is supposed to represent God. And here's why. You all are supposed to represent God. We, together, are supposed to represent God. We're not going to let some statue made of stone or ivory or gold do the hard work of imaging God. We will image God for the rest of the world. And this, in chapter 19, is what it's supposed to look like. Now, before we get to these really great verses. If you keep reading in chapter 19, you get a clear example of what happens when we lose sight of the heart of God and focus only on the rules and on the laws. When we lift words out of context. So I have heard a sermon or a lesson that goes something like this and it's in the back half of chapter 19. Here, don't, don't you dare get a tattoo because it says right here in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, don't get a tattoo. And so Chris Yates is obviously outside of the will of God. But see, here's the thing. Like I said, that is a verse lifted out of context. Completely lifted out of context. We don't read scripture like that here. Let me me correct that. We work really hard not to read scripture (laughs) like that around here because it's a temptation, is it not? It's a temptation. We work really hard to maintain this working connection, this, this covenantal connection with the heart of God that is communicated in all of the words and not those few that you want to fortify your point. Let's go to the beginning of the chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, I am holy. Wow, this is big big deal. And we got to talk about this word, holiness. But right now, hear this. God is saying holiness is not a concept that will be limited to the temple or the tabernacle or just the, the room where we put God. Holiness has to go out farther beyond that. Think of it in concentric circles. It has to go farther out, farther out, farther out until it encompasses, because of the heart of God, everything. All of creation. Okay, well, how will we do that? God sounds good. Sign me up. I will help you push holiness out beyond the walls, push this heartbeat of God out beyond the walls, but how will we do this? Okay, all the way, God says, You'll take this heartbeat of God all the way to the farm and to where you do business. Okay, when, God says, here's how we will, here's how we will push this sense of holiness, which as you can tell already, is not just a measure of purity, right? Some people, when they think of this concept of holiness, they think of the surgeon ready to do battle, Right? They think of Dr. Smith ready to go into the operating room and just scrubbed absolute. There is a sense in which that speaks to us and says something about purity, and certainly that has something to do with holiness, but if your sense of holiness stops there, you're actually wrong because you haven't gone the rest of the way, because the rest of the way has to do with relationship, love and relationship that has to reach to your household, that has to reach to your places where you go to work, that has to reach all the way to the places that you do business. So when you reap the harvest of your land, 
make sure that you don't maximize your profit margin. You shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings. Let's call that the stuff that falls out of the wagon on the way back. Don't go back and pick that stuff up. Somebody will eat that. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. In other words, I I want you to cut into, God says, your profit margin. Or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. And God seems to punctuate this long speech with the same phrase time and again. I am the Lord your God. And it means something more than because I said so. It is God saying, this is who I am and so this is who I expect you to be. Think of this again. I'm going to say it again because I, I, I can see some frowns out there. God would like for you to not make an idol out of profit margin. Now, somebody in the room is saying, yeah, all right, then, if I don't make an idol out of my profit margin, if I don't maximize my profit margin, I give less to the church. I bet not, because I think your heart will make up the difference. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather your fallen grapes, because if you're going to be holy in the way that I am holy, says God, I want you to be concerned about the poor and the alien. In other words, this is not new. This is, this is good Nazarene stuff. This is good Wesleyan stuff. This is good Christian stuff from way back. The exercise of faith must include a component that allows you, the believer, to be in regular contact with and concerned about the poor. Has to, has to, has to. I am the Lord your God. Let's keep reading. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, equity, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor because I'm God and I want you to put skin and flesh on God people. Let's skip down to verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, says a holy God who insists that your definition of holiness have something to do with purity and something to do with relationality. Okay. I think faith done poorly, faith taught or preached poorly, faith sung poorly can result in a congregation or in a believer who somehow has a diminished sense of self. Here's what I mean. You get the impression, depending on who you're listening to, You get the impression that you're unwanted and unchosen until you're chosen and wanted. That you're bad until you're good. That you're out until you're in. You also get the impression that you're in when you finally do all the things you're supposed to do and finally stop doing those things that you know you're not supposed to be doing. And the book of Leviticus, if you're going to let the book, the words on the page, separated from the heart of God, if you're going to let the words on the page tell you what it means to be a believer, you're going to be overwhelmed. Because, guys, it covers everything. 
It covers everything from the kinds of clothes that you would wear, the kinds of seeds that you would plant, the kind of animals that you would meet. It covers everything from skin diseases, all kinds of things. There's so much on this page, on all of these pages. If you root your faith there, you are bound to fail. And then you're a failure. And we have this tendency as human beings to do this with Christian failure, right? We have this tendency to do this with Christian failure. Shrug our shoulders and say, I can't do it. I know some of those people. We have a tendency to posture ourselves as people who don't fail when we do. Those people are especially dangerous because they might also demonstrate a willingness to beat other people who don't do it well all the while posturing themselves as people who do do it well. And so we have a tendency to lie. Or maybe, I know these people too, you get so disenchanted by the preoccupation with all of the rules that you say, this can't be what faith is, and you walk away from faith. And man, If your measuring stick is all of the laws bound up in the law, you're going to fail. You're not going to measure up. It's a very dangerous thing to present the gospel as you're out until you're in, not chosen until you are. How about this? God has chosen you. How about this, and you've heard this before, but I want you to hear it again, perhaps for the first time. God knows you and still chooses you. (laughs) God knows me and still chooses me. Now, we'll circle back around here, but, but hear this. When you come to the table, I try every week to say these words. Just as Christ took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it, so also we now take the bread, bless it, break it, and give it. And over a period of time, I hope that you and I develop the capacity to understand ourselves as the bread then taken, blessed, broken, and given for the sake of others. You are less likely to do that if you have terrible Christian self-image. If you believe yourself to be wrong or dishonest or out, you are less likely to be the grateful recipient of grace who then can communicate that grace to everyone that needs it. People, you're chosen by God. You're invited by God. And let me say again, you're invited by God though God knows all that there is to know about you and God still invites you to be the tangible expression of the heartbeat and the mission and the passion of God for people. John, uh, you do not know what I dragged in here with me today. Well, I might. I'm a pastor. I have secretaries. But it doesn't matter. God and God's grace chooses people like us, imperfect people like us, to demonstrate, to put skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality and the patience and the forgiveness of God. You are at your testifying best, not when you're perfect, but when you're not. And when you are testifying to the grace of God. Now, this was the case. God knew that he was choosing an imperfect people. And so God gave them this gift known as the Torah in the hopes that over a period of time they would finally understand what it means to be the people of God and learn, learn how to go about all of life, including business, including marriage, including farming, including everything. God gives them this far-reaching Torah in the hopes 
of helping them to learn, but there's a lot to learn, right? And so God uses poems and songs to teach. We do that too. Uh, how many of you learned your alphabet with the, the ABC song? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a song that has to do with the periodic table, I'm told. It sounds really boring, right? <laughs> there are songs to help you to know all the different states in the United States. And we grew up cutting our teeth on, you guys, does anybody remember all of this stuff? Amen. <laughs> I learned a lot by watching Schoolhouse Rock. Anybody else? Can you name some of them? Conjunction, Junction, I'm Just a Bill, the, the Shot Heard Round the World, there's all of these things. Somebody figured out at some point, you know, if we can put this really important information to music, maybe some kids will get it, and they were talking about me. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, let's see, do you, do you remember this one? Do you remember it? Conjunction, Junction, what's your function? Hooking up words. I'm just going to let play because you need to know about conjunction. Conjunction, Junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cards that get most of my job done. Conjunction, Junction, what's their function? I got and, button, or, they'll get you pretty far. And that's an additive. Like this is this not new, okay? Grant, turn it down there for me a little bit. This is not new. We have known for a long time. In fact, all the way back, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms seems to have been used as a teaching tool. And some of you are so transfixed on this, like, oh. Be quiet, John. Be quiet, John. I'm learning about it. Yeah, we got we to gotta move on. Sorry. <laughs> I'm telling you, some of you were so lost. People kind of looking around me at the screen. Take a look in your Bibles. If you have a really cool Bible, you will see that the 119th Psalm, 176 verses long, is divided into sections of eight verses. Here's why. Because there are 22 letters in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each letter of the alphabet gets its own set of eight verses. 22 times eight, that's why there's 176 verses. The verses that we have today, all in the original language, you can't see it because of the, of the way that we've translated it into English, but all of the verses in the set of verses that we have before us today all start with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. How do I pronounce it, Dr. Bratcher? Hey, H-E-Y, how do I, how do, hey? Driver, wow, hey, it's the fifth letter. They all start with that. It was a mnemonic device. No, not demonic device, mnemonic device. <laughs> Meant to help people learn and think through. A tune, perhaps, was put to it so that you would learn and think through, learn and think through, and just like how Take a Chance on Me was in my head all week, maybe this would be the song that would be in your head all week. And if it's in your head all week, you start to learn the Torah. A part of the Torah, an important part of the Torah, important, important part of the Torah that had to be sort of caught as well as taught goes like this. You are the chosen of God. Meant to be the people of God. Meant to live in these specific ways so that all the people could see the heart of God on full, on full display. The Torah tried all the time to say, Torah is a gift and the means whereby you are reminded that you are the chosen of God, but here for a specific purpose of claiming all of the territory and returning it back to God. Isn't that good? Listen to some of this. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Delight. Delight. That word jumps off the page at me. You don't delight in the words on the page when you are suffering the effects of legalism, 
But when you understand this to be the means whereby you understand the heartbeat of God and your place in the process whereby God will reclaim all of creation, now you can see how it is that the Torah reminds you of your chosenness and reminds you how to go about being the chosen of God. Well, I liked it better than you did. Okay, turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. We say this about the Lord's Prayer. I hope you're catching it. We say this about the Lord's Prayer. Man, we're going to keep praying it and keep praying it until we believe it. Keep praying it and keep praying it until we believe it, until it becomes a part of our DNA, and it becomes such a big part of our DNA that we can't help but look out onto the rest of the world being people shaped by the prayer. The only way, I think, the only way a good business person can look at a profit margin and choose not to maximize it is if he or she is so schooled in this mindset and in the heartbeat of God, helped along by verses like Psalm 119, 36, and 37, when that becomes a part of the song that plays in your head day in and day out, maybe then you are coaxed and coached toward that time, toward that place where you can actually see the benefit of leaving some of that field to the poor and the alien refugee. Listen, we are called to an enormous task. We, the people of God, I mean, truthfully, we are called to an enormous task. The task is creation-wide. Does it feel like weight? It, it, it probably should feel like weight. We are called to a task that takes all of us, each of us, our entire lives can be consumed in this giant task and either it will be felt like a weight or felt like an opportunity. Last verse. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. All right, we're gonna turn one more place and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start with the scariest verse in Scripture and then work backwards. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. If you dare, look at the last verse of chapter 5, which in your Bibles probably goes something like this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, and now I'm depressed. If you kind of want to know what he's talking about, just, just sort of look up. Now I'm going to read to you from verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, this is craziness, y'all. Okay, spoiler alert. This is craziness. Listen to this. Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. This is craziness and really hard to do. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Buckle up, y'all. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This is, can I get a witness that this is hard stuff? Can you also see here a challenging but a difficult definition of holiness? I mean, I mean, it's here. Now, now, maybe you have, maybe this is the reason you have allowed yourself to believe that holiness is just a measure, a, a measure of purity or not. Because really, this stuff is harder. This stuff is harder than trying to be really pure. It's harder. And maybe it's so hard, you recognize how far short you fall, especially when somebody drops the nuclear bomb in there that goes something like this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. John, aren't you the same guy that a few minutes ago was talking about terrible self-image that results when people, like you, by the way, pastor, preach the gospel in ways that always find us falling short? There's another way to translate that verse. Dr. Tashin has really helped me with this over the years and helped me significantly with it this week. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But you know what? It might also be translated, you will be perfected as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. In other words, perhaps this verse says beautifully what I try to say fitfully when I say to you, God knows you and still chooses you. People, God knows you and still chooses you, and if you will just say yes, if you will choose the God that has chosen you, then what you can be certain of is this, that God is in the process of perfecting you. Making you into the kinds of people whose failures might also be powerful testimonies to the grace of God and God's capacity to choose and keep people like us. So you don't measure up? I'm not saying that doesn't matter. I'm saying it does matter. If you're not measuring up, if these lofty standards, this is the gospel that we're trying to push beyond the walls of the church, and it, and it had something to do with business, and that was bad enough early on, but now you're telling me i got to love my enemies and give my stuff away, that is a really lofty ideal and a hard kingdom to embody. Yes, 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 and God still chooses you to grow you toward it. And in your successes and in your failures, God, the ultimate artist, can make something of this story and use it as a powerful testimony to the grace of God and God's capacity to romance people toward Christ-likeness. See, I have always believed this. I've been taught this. You need to hear this. As it has to do with your relationship with God, as it has to do with our relationship with God, God has always done more work than you and I have. Even as it has to do with the process, the process of you moving toward Christ's likeness and Christian perfection, even that process is requiring more of God than it is requiring of you. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't require something of you. Listen, hear me. You need to participate. You need to participate. You need to find ways to participate in this process whereby you are moved toward Christ-likeness. Sometimes I, I refer to the church and what we do around here as campfire. John, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, no, that's where we have the campfire, though, so you're not going to ever get warm. Now, a lot of Christians read about campfires and believe that they know all about campfires. They just can't really 
make one or they've never seen one. But because I know about campfires, I've read about them, I've memorized those passages about campfires, I know exactly what campfires, no you don't. You don't know a campfire until you've been warmed by a campfire. I love you, I really do, but you don't know a campfire until you've been warmed by a campfire. Reading about a campfire is not the same as knowing a campfire. Are you close enough to the campfire? Because slowly but surely what God is doing with campfires is warming a heart toward that time when you will look like Jesus. Are you close enough to the campfire? Super, super busy. Okay. You need the campfire. At the campfire, you're reminded time and again, God has chosen us to be people (laughs) who put skin and flesh on the welcome and the hope and the forgiveness and the hospitality of God. Which means that you need to know God and not just know about God. Do you know God or do you know about God? In his book, Life of the Beloved, one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen, has has written this incredible book about, oh no, 10 or 15 years ago now. And the title of each chapter goes something like this, Taken, Blessed, Broken, and Given. I'm not sure that you ever get to those last couple of spots where you are willing to be broken and then available to be given if you don't start by knowing that you're amongst the taken, the chosen. Right where you are. No matter what it is that you dragged in here with you, (laughs) no matter how far short you fall of those verses you just read out of Matthew 5, you are still amongst the taken of God and the blessed of God. And if you'll keep coming to this campfire, eventually you will get to that place where you will understand the necessity of your being broken and then given. Let's take another step that direction right now. If you are helping us, please come. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, Lord, and remind us as we take them that we are amongst the chosen of God, that we are amongst the chosen of God, that you have given to us like a gift, this calling, to be a part of the process whereby all the world is restored, a part of the process. The process whereby people and areas and circumstances are all brought back to you for redemption and restoration. Remind us today, Lord, of the first word of this series, that we are the taken, the chosen. May that be a message more about you than it does about us. May it remind us of something about the grace of God that always chooses us. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward and approach a person holding a plate full of bread. As you come close, that person will take a piece of that bread and place it into your hands. Please come with your hands cupped, ready to receive this gift of grace that you did not earn, but that comes to you by the decision of God, the choice of God, reminding you again that you are amongst the chosen of God. That person will place that little piece of bread in your hand, and when he does or when she does, You'll hear these words, this is the body of Christ broken for you. There it is, the choice made for you again. Costly choice, but a choice nonetheless. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding the cup. 
when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. Maybe at one of our side padded altars where all prayers for healing are always going to be welcome, any kind of healing really, physical healing, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational healing. If you come to one of those side padded altars, somebody really good at praying will come and pray with you. Or you can find your way to one of these mourner's benches, kneeling benches. If you come to one of these altars, someone at some point is going to touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder, your back, just to make sure that you know that you are not alone. If you do come to one of these altars, I hope, I hope, I hope you're coming to explore that you are amongst the chosen. I hope that you're coming to be reminded that you are amongst the chosen, that God sees something in you that God wants bad <laughs> and is choosing it all over again today. Now you can, you can circle right back around and go to your seat and I'm pretty sure God can hear those prayers too. But do please find a place to pray. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. A demonstration of the choice of God Every time you eat of this bread, remember, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me, remember the choice that is made for you. If you'd like, you can make a special trip up here and dip your fingers into these waters meant to help you remember your baptism, that you are amongst the included, the baptized. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie are on their way to you. Who can come to this table? Every single person who understands her or his need for grace. If you understand your need for grace, you are today and will always be welcome at this table, no matter what. So now, across the sanctuary, all of you keenly aware of your need for grace, would you stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, the gifts of God for the people of God. Raising up the broken to life. 
our failure You take our weakness You set your treasure In jars of clay So take this heart, Lord I'll be your vessel The world to see Your life in me sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me Oh, I once was lost But now I am found Was blind, but now I see Oh, I can see you now I can see the Heavenly Father, we have lots to confess. Confess, Lord, that there are many times when perhaps we live beneath our privilege as the chosen people of God. Perhaps, Lord, we live beneath that privilege because we are keenly aware of all that we're not. And we just find this gift of grace, this choice that you make for us, too good to be true, especially when placed alongside the way that we believe the rest of the world to function. We are graded by our productivity. God, remind us that you do know us. Remind us, Lord, that you do know us, everything that there is to know about each of us, all of us together. And yet still, not only do you choose to be in relationship with us, but you seem still to be willing to use us to participate in the movement of the kingdom toward your dreams for all of it and all of us. God, forgive us for not believing. Forgive us for finding this too good to be true. Forgive us, Lord, for not rooting our lives of faith in your love for us. Take us, Lord. Receive us like I know you will. And now, God, hear us as we pray for one another. You know these and other requests, but we bring them to your attention, Lord, to know so that you know how we feel about these and those around us. these moments we turn our hearts to prayers of intercession. Would you turn your mind and your hearts to those in your life who you know need a special touch from God? And as God brings those people to your mind, would you offer prayers of your love, God's healing presence in your life? 
in their life. Some of you may not know someone right now. There's a way you can look in your worship folder and the chance for you to go through some of those names and see friends or maybe people that you know of or heard of or if you're a guest, names and lists of things that we would ask for you to pray for. And this is, would be a time for you to go down and to see a name, remember a story or pray for an issue you see in that worship folder. Many are unable to come this morning because they're sick. I've heard so many who are sick with the flu or feeling just terrible at this time. You can pray for those in your life who you know need recovery from an illness at this time. You pray for those who want to pray for a few. Who we need to ask, who we need to ask for God's healing in their life. And we pray for that for LaDonna Bennett. And asking God that this week. You would be with Debbie McKenzie and her family and ask God you would heal her from the cancer that's back in her body. There are others that you know that need prayer for cancer or an illness that seems unable to be overcome. Would you pray for God's healing presence and power in their life right now? Our pastor talked about our the potential of the Savior that has asked us to pray and to love our enemies. And so in an opportunity to practice that, as you think about your enemy or your opposite, would you pray for them now? As those faces and names may come up in your life, and that could be someone next to you or around the world, would you pray for them or ask God for the courage to want to want to pray? for your enemies. God, would you fill our hearts with love and transform us into your image? Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray this prayer. In church, we're gonna pray using debts and debtors, and for those who are unfamiliar, this Lord's Prayer will be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.